giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Vitel, and with me today is Sam Morehouse, creator of the summer education program for developers in Ghana, known as Global Code. Sam, thanks for joining me. So you're in the UK now? Yeah, I'm in London. Okay. I, uh, I'm working here for a few months. I noticed on your LinkedIn profile, it still says Hong Kong. So I wasn't sure mm. where you actually were. Uh, yeah, I lived in Hong Kong for four years from 2011 to 2015. What took you there? I'm a software engineer by trade. I work in finance. I've been building trading systems for 11 years now. And I've been doing that in London for a long time. And I found myself with uh, a lot of options on my hands. And I thought about changing my career. I thought about changing my goals and changing my life. And I decided I actually quite like doing my job. And I'm lucky enough to have found something that I'm good at and that pays fairly well. Uh, so I should keep doing it, right? And so I, I looked at moving locations. And I actually looked at New York as, as one option. Mm-hmm. I figured that New York's one of those places that if you really want to go and live, you, you probably can do. So I kind of shelved it for a while. And I went straight to Hong Kong. And I'd never been to Asia before. So I just asked all my friends where I should go. Because finance, IT in Southeast Asia is, um, or in Asia rather, is, is, is basically Tokyo, Shanghai, Singapore, or Hong Kong. And mm-hmm. I just spoke to people I loved and trusted, and they all said move to Hong Kong. And they were right. Did you uh, do that with your employer, or did you have to find a new job? I actually took the opportunity to, well, to do exactly what you're not supposed to do, right? Which is to change more than one big thing at once. So I, uh, I'd been working for Morgan Stanley for a long time, for five years in London, and I shifted to Citibank, which was a good decision at the time. Citibank in equities was shifting from a, a model of building technology to buying technology, which I think for them is the right thing to do, but it wasn't right for me as a 27-year-old software engineer. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I actually went back to Morgan Stanley for two years and worked in their FX options business, which was great fun. And that was my last real like proper job, my last real mm-hmm. office job. And so I ended up actually, I've come full circle. So now I teach people how to be software engineers Right on the graduate program that I was on at Morgan Stanley 10 years ago. So instead of being sat in the class falling asleep, I'm now 10 feet forward at the front of the class trying to teach Scala and Java and hoping that people don't fall asleep. And you do that for Morgan Stanley? There's a couple of steps of intermediary. Yeah. So I do it at the Morgan Stanley office. Yeah. I mean, I'm self-employed and there's a client and then there's yeah. ultimately, if you like follow the rabbit hole all the way down, yep. it ends up with, yeah. So when did you first start mentoring and teaching and think that that was something that you wanted to do full time? Mm. I mean, in terms of mentoring young engineers, that's what you do as a as a reasonably seasoned mm-hmm. software engineer. That's, that's part of the craft. So pairing and reviewing and all of those things that, that we do. It's always been part of part of my life. When I was looking for work, when I was ready to leave Hong Kong and I wanted to move to New York, one of the phone calls that I made was to the guy who's now my client. And I basically said, you know, here, here's where I am. Here's what I'm doing. And I'd actually been a stand-up comedian for three years in Hong Kong as a hobby, as like as a side gig. And so I said, I've got 10 years of fairly strong tech chops. I was on your program 10 years ago. I've got no problem talking in front of people. Can I please have a job? And he ummed and ahed and ultimately said yes. And so I'm in the really fortunate position now where I get to, um, I think, I think software is really important. I think writing code is transformative and I consider myself really lucky that I get to kind of teach people how to do it. Yeah. 
and in a bit of a selfish sense, travel the world as well and see the world. And my work is very flexible. So the program that we teach on lasts for 15 weeks and it runs twice a year. And outside of that, I can pick up some other pieces of work. I'm self-employed. Um, but also it gives me the time, which is a, a desperately precious resource, to do a whole bunch of other cool stuff. So how did you arrive in Ghana or, you know, at the juncture that took you to the point with where you're at now? So I, without being too wishy-washy, my own personal thesis for life that I've kind of built up over some time is that if you're, if you're lucky, uh, you get some money, mm-hmm. right? If you're lucky in life, you, you're, you're kind of or blessed or you have grace or whatever you want to call it, you end up with a bit of money. Or sometimes people end up with some time. And most people don't get either of those things. But for whatever reason, I've managed to find myself in a position with a little bit of both. Um, not a huge amount by any mm-hmm. means. When I'm not working, I can't afford to live in London. I have to go and, you know, <laughs> get outside of the city. But when I find myself with 22 weeks off, effectively every year, I, I did exactly what you think. I, uh, I traveled around the world a lot and I spent a lot of time on beaches and I drank a lot of beer and uh, put on some weight. And um, led me through this path of realizing that really I ought to do something. You know, if if you if you get a bit of time and a bit of money and you don't do something good with it, then I think that's a, a waste. I think that's a terrible thing. So then the question is, well, what do you do? And the way that I think about charitable giving is that digging wells and building schools and hospitals and visiting old people and raking leaves in the park, they're all very, very important things. And um, they're absolutely necessary. But there's a thing that we do as software engineers, which I believe is transformative. It's multiplicative. And I think if you can find a way to give that to someone, like that that particular piece of knowledge, that can make the biggest, or at least one of the greatest differences in people's lives that I think I can give. So I, I started trying to move in that direction towards social enterprise work, towards nonprofit charity work. And as such, I worked fairly hard to explicitly build my network, which as a software engineer and as a bit of a nerd isn't something that I uh, have ever been terribly comfortable with. Like networking is something that I've always found a bit um, a cringy, mm-hmm. but I did. I, and I was in New York and I love New York. And uh, I always feel when I'm there that I want to give something back because I just find it a magical city and I, I find myself consuming the place. And so I started going to hackathons and hack days sponsored by various local organizations and mentoring students there who were learning how to be programmers and being humbled by their knowledge, which is terrifying, and also by their attitude towards learning the craft that I do. To see someone young want to do what you do is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's there that I met this guy, Chelsea Roebuck, who's now one of my charity mentors, a good friend of mine, and actually he's on my board of trustees. And Chelsea runs an organization called Elite, and they work in Harlem. So they, they run school programs in Harlem, but also every year he runs a summer program in August in Ghana, teaching school children STEM topics. So it's been running for nine years now. And I met this guy, and I, I'll tell you, I took him to a bar, and I got a few beers into him, and I begged him to let me come to Ghana with him. <laughs> I said, I'll, I'll pay for my flights, I'll pay for my accommodation, just let me come and see what it is that you're doing and, 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 and how it works. And so I went in August 2016. I managed to find some time before I was called back to go to my paid gig, to my job. And I spent 10 days in Ghana teaching his students a JavaScript, you know, mm-hmm. D3 and P5 and just simple stuff to, to, to high school kids. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was wonderful. It was, it was, it was very, very cool. 
and uh, after that, when I got back, I started to go through this process of trying to figure out how I could structure something that was useful and, and wasn't currently being done and would be worthwhile and that I could get my friends involved with and my colleagues involved with. And that leads you down the path of, well, my paid gig is teaching adults who can code a bit how to be really good. So maybe there's a way that I can do that. So I spent the next year working with some contacts that I'd made in Ghana whilst I'd been there to build a three-week summer program that I then delivered in July 2017, last mm -hmm. year. So where in Ghana do you do the program? In 2017, I was based at Koforidua, which is a town about two hours north of uh, Accra, which is the capital. Mm -hmm. So Ghana is actually in Greenwich Mean Time. So it's in the same time zone as I am right now. So it's it's perfect in so many ways. It's on the West African coast, so it's quite close to the equator. It's English-speaking in a sea of French-speaking nations. Mm -hmm. It had free and fair elections at the beginning of last year. It's got very low corruption for those West African states. It's got the rule of law. It's got some some British cultural aspects, which make, make life very easy. And the other thing is that it's got really, really good internet, which is crucial. And also is, is the, the kind of the X factor that makes it just on the cusp of about to be like a software powerhouse. So when I drive up and down the, the coastline, I can get good 3G, 4G internet on my cell phone the whole time, mm -hmm. which, which means that if you can teach someone how to write really good code, they can earn US dollars and they can earn British pounds and live in Ghana, which is a big difference. It solves a whole bunch of problems. So Coverage was a town about two hours north of, uh, of Accra. So that's where I started the program last year with 18 students. We gave each of them a Raspberry Pi, which we used as the teaching platform because there's a whole bunch of social issues that it solves. And it solves these these kind of social issues for, for really nothing. It's 35, 50 bucks for a starter kit. And so, uh, you, so you don't know, for example, if someone has a laptop or if they have internet access or electricity at home, or if when they go home, they've got chores to do, like look after their younger brothers and sisters. So, so giving everyone a Raspberry Pi and using that as the platform for teaching during the week and during the three weeks that we're there, it solves all those problems. Mm -hmm. Plus, it gives you the opportunity. It's a homogenous hardware environment, so you can teach Linux, you can teach Python on hardware that you know is there. Mm -hmm. So our labs are, are really great. They're very, very tight. The first day, uh, the students arrive, and there's a Raspberry Pi unplugged on their desk. And some of our students, they want to be software engineers, but they've never been allowed to touch the internals of a computer. So we pick the thing up, you know, it's the size of a deck of cards. We're very tactile and you shouldn't touch it really. You shouldn't get mucky fingers on it, but you know, it's, it's fun and it gives a lot. And we, we point to all the bits and we say, you know, what, what is this bit? What, what does this bit do? What does this bit do? It's got onboard Wi-Fi. It's got onboard Bluetooth. It's a really great bit of kit. And then we plug it in and every day we kind of go for this wow moment, you know, the lights on moment. And the first that we deliver is when the Raspberry Pi switches on. And it shows a Linux desktop. And the wow there is that this tiny box makes this whole thing go. And then we start to explore Linux with the terminal and with some of the tool chains. We set our own desktop backgrounds. You know, we go out to the internet and find a fun background picture. How do people find out about the course to begin with? Advertising is really difficult. Um, so we, we started out advertising at Coverage University, mm -hmm. Coverage Technical University, with posters. And my contact, Josh, is a student there. And uh, he used his network. What we aimed for was 30 students who had some programming background and who were about to start their final year. Because mm -hmm. I figure that's where, if you hit at the right point, things really accelerate. 
And I think by the end of it, we let go each one of those little rules that we'd set mm-hmm. for ourselves. So basically, if you knocked on the door at the right time on the first day, you know, come in, sit down. <laughs> uh, Did people have to pay for it? No, it's absolutely free. Yeah. I thought about asking for some token gesture, but just to make sure that people would turn up. Right. You know, to, as some sign of commitment. And then I thought, well... The difference in the value of the Ghanaian CD and the dollar and, and the value of that money is so great that it would never be a question of recouping any costs yep. or of generating any income. And at the same time, I think the offering that we were able to give, which is three weeks of very, very good tuition in a topic which is very, very important and frankly, the gift of a Raspberry Pi, it was compelling enough. Mm-hmm. So whilst we had close to 30 accepted applicants we actually ended up with 18 students with 20 students turning up on the first day two left during the first day and then the 18 that stayed were with us all the way through Mm -hmm. right up until the end so they were really committed really dedicated and we keep in touch you know there's a whatsapp group that we're in i speak with them every day check in with them sometimes and a couple of them have got jobs as software engineers now great you know one of them has started volunteering in his local high school to teach kids how to write code. You mentioned that you didn't want to even assume that people would have power or those guys. My mother-in-law just got back from Ghana. She's a nurse and they went outside of the city and they don't have power at all there. Uh, she said that she right. visited some schools. They would run their their clinics, medical clinics. It was the first time that people had seen any medical professional in their lives. The schools didn't have any power. There's no power in the towns or the schools there. And she said that they would teach kids computers on paper keyboards Mm -hmm. and paper. And it's real, but it's almost hard to imagine the disparity between being able to first learn computers on a paper keyboard because you don't have power all the way up to plugging in that Raspberry Pi for the first day of that course. Now, you know, I'm sure that the experience of people in the city is different than people outside of the city who don't have power, but I can just imagine the impact that that experience was having on on some of those kids. For sure, yeah. So even in the big cities, computer science tuition isn't great. Back in, uh, in the 60s after Ghana had gained independence from the Brits, pursued a, an agrarian economy rather than a, the available growing technical one. And so one of the things that we find is that there are vanishingly few teachers of my age or older, I'm 34 right now, Mm -hmm. who have been software engineers, who have studied computer science, who know that craft. And so those that do teach do a sterling job and they try very, very hard and they're very, very eager to grow and to learn. And we spend time talking about curriculum with them and helping to teach them as well. But there's a huge gap in systemic knowledge that we believe that we can fill. In terms of access to infrastructure, Ghana's got mineral wealth, and so various nations are helping swap mineral wealth for Mm -hmm. uh, infrastructure rights. So what you find is that there are roads and there are uh, the railways being rebuilt. And yeah, sure, there's there's pretty good internet up and down the country in in the cities. To your point of paper keyboards, 
I saw in the news whilst I was there last July an interview with a four-year-old boy, a TV interview with a four-year-old boy who was furious because his teacher was making them learn how to use a mouse, but there were no mice. So they were using pebbles that they picked up from the yard. <laughs> you know, holy moly, that's really humbling. So there's the danger of misplaced investment, of misplaced giving, which is is very, very tempting to do. There's this great story that I heard of a hardware gift of dozens of PCs being put on the back of a low loader and driven 19 hours up the country to Tamalay and out of the city and mm-hmm. into, into the village and then being unloaded in the church hall only to find, of course, that there's, as you said, there's no electricity. So providing a hardware platform which is reliable is very, very important. One of the things that I want to do in the next couple of years is to fill the back of a truck with Raspberry Pis and a diesel genset mm-hmm. so that we can run a, a, a mobile classroom. It's a, it's an interesting problem. But but certainly it's the case that we're dealing with students who who haven't grown up with PC hardware, haven't grown up with access to literature. But now actually with open courseware and mm-hmm. uh, hardware like the Raspberry Pi, it makes it very, very I wouldn't I don't think easy is the right word, but it's certainly tractable to jump on an airplane or to find local people who do have the knowledge and to just give them a bit of injection of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, what we teach isn't computer science. It's not algorithms and data structures. It's the practice of software engineering. It's, it's Git and GitHub and Heroku and you know what it is to be a developer. A little bit of electronics, a little bit of IoT. So you've offered this for the first time. It sounds like it was pretty successful. What are you focused on now? So my plan for 2018 was to grow in two directions. The first time you run something like this, it's really tempting to fall into the trap of great is the enemy of good. Mm-hmm. It's really tempting to say, well, I can't move forward because we don't have such and such a thing. It's like when you join a gym and you decide not to go because you don't have the trainers yet. It's like, just go, you know? Mm-hmm. And so so there's a couple of issues that we had in the first year that I've been trying to solve for this year. The first is that we only had two girls on the program in 2017. Mm-hmm. And that was very difficult because I didn't know what to expect. And I've been told to expect exactly that. Yeah. Ghana has a huge supply chain issue, to put it in very blunt terms, in that there are no girls yeah. learning how to program computers. And it's a very conservative country and there are lots of reasons for that. But it's changing over time. So so we wanted to try and focus on um, on getting more girls into the classroom. And one of the things we did is we went and spoke to the girls who had been accepted onto the program in 2017 but that hadn't shown up for one reason or another Mm -hmm. and very gently we asked them if they could help us and tell us if we could do something that would have changed that and two major things came out the first is that the girls didn't know what time the classes was running like it's so dumb you know i hadn't put it on the poster i'm learning so much so we run classes from nine till twelve and one till four and uh, everyone's out the room at lunchtime. I kick everyone out and lock the door. Mm-hmm. And uh, and after 4 p.m., I don't want people to stay back because I know that some people have to go home and do chores or look after the younger brothers and sisters. It's not fair. So we put the hours of the class on the on the poster. And that's kid stuff, you know. The other thing was that the girls weren't sure that they would have access to safe and secure accommodation. Mm-hmm. And so when I went back to our host university, and as it turns out, two more this year, I asked them to provide free accommodation for girls. And I, I told them that I wanted 50% girls on the program and if that was, if that was okay. And, and all of our host universities have been wonderful and have given us that. The other thing that I wanted to do aside from the issue of getting girls into class was to grow the program. Because I think that if you do something good and the model works, you should do more of it. And so I think in 2017, I showed that uh, to myself that the model of 
going into Ghana, uh, surrounding yourself by smart people who will work with you and, and will help you, and teaching, something that I believe is important, for three weeks. And we run project fairs and uh, we have visits to companies that do software engineering and all of that stuff. We take mm-hmm. class trips. If you do that and it works and it's, it's good, you should do more of it. So I'm very lucky in that this job that I have, I've got a whole bunch of colleagues who, if you say to people, hey, we're doing this really cool thing. We're going to Ghana for three weeks and we're going to teach a bunch of people how to write code. Do you want to come? And by the way, can you pay £750 for your own flight? Everyone that I've asked to do that has said yes. And that's it's incredibly generous. One of the things that I found out as I've moved into the charity world is that people are so mind-bogglingly generous and will give of their time and their love and their energy and and sure their money as well so we've got a whole bunch of volunteers coming from morgan stanley got uh, a whole bunch of volunteers my colleagues who are coming out for the whole three weeks and uh, i've just spoken to a couple of people at columbia in new york hopefully who are going to be able to join us as well so it's really an international bunch Mm -hmm. so that leaves me in the position of not being a teacher anymore of course now i'm a an administrator and hr and dog's body and (laughs) you mentioned you sort of alluded that you're going to be doing it in three locations this year that's the goal is that what you're that's right shooting for yeah so we're, we're going to cape coast which is a beautiful town about four hours drive west of Accra. so we'll be in a little triangle really a right angle triangle and uh, Cape Coast is a beautiful town by the coast. It's got a very sad history. It's where the Brits ran the slave trade from for a very long mm-hmm. time. So there's a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of sadness and, and heartache there. But it's got a beautiful university with a stunning green campus, and it's right by the sea. One of the professors there, Professor Sower, told me that it's one of only six universities in the world that backs onto the sea, that edges onto the <laughs> sea. So we're going there, and we're also going to one of the main universities, one of the uh, the big universities in the country, the University of Ghana in Accra. So we're really growing. Are you running the courses simultaneously? Yeah. Okay. Go big or go home. Yeah. I think asking anyone to, to bite off nine weeks. Of- yeah. So what will your plan be? You'll you'll be going in between the different cities throughout? Yeah, that's right. So I, I'm now the dog's body. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be, I hope to get some teaching in, but I've got a wonderful set of colleagues, teachers, friends, volunteers who are coming to to take the brunt of the work and that's quite nice for them as well because you get to say to people who do this for a living either as writing code or teaching people to write code you get to say to them you're going to Ghana to teach something that isn't currently being taught to make a real difference and I, I would like you to own a curriculum I would like you to make plans as you see a need so mm-hmm. you start on day zero when we get there with a little idea of what you're going to teach in the first two days. Because we don't know the potential of the students. We don't know the current level at which the students are running at. And so thinking on your feet and adapting and, and building a discrete custom curriculum is, I think, is a, is a great opportunity for my teachers as well. And how many students do you hope to have this year? 90 this year. We're gutting for 30 in each site, uh, which means 90 in total. Mm-hmm. So that will give me an alumni count at the end of 2018 of... Uh, 108 if my math is right Mm -hmm. and i've got a personal goal to teach 500 students in five years i think that goal is one of the things that's forcing me to grow at a reasonable level Mm -hmm. we'll have to take on another school maybe next year Mm -hmm. Um, but also one of the watchwords of modern non-profit work charitable giving sustainable development is is sustainability so that means that my 10-year goal is to be out of the picture Mm-hmm. So I want Global Code as an organization in Ghana to be run and taught and organized 
by Ghanaians, mm-hmm. maybe my alumni who have who have found successful careers and as software engineers and who after 10 years have decided to give something back themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if that's not the case, then, well, we've still got to get out. You know, you can't just carry on pushing that thing. If the model doesn't work, then we'll do something else. Mm-hmm. But the name's Global Code. And so hopefully in 10 years, we're not just in Ghana. The world's a big place. Mm-hmm. You mentioned goals. Are you generally a goal setter? I'm not. I used to have five-year plans mm-hmm. for my whole life, and I stopped doing that because I started to move around the world and live a fairly Brownian motion style life, right? So I haven't had those kind of goals for a long time. But I've moved from a situation where I had responsibilities to my family and to the friends that I had around me and to myself into a situation now where I have responsibility to the 12 volunteers that are coming to Ghana with me. I've asked them to fly to Africa, to another part of the world, to kind of trust me that this thing is is going to work. Mm-hmm. And also, I've asked students who have never met me to trust me with three weeks of their valuable summer, where they could be working, where they could be spending time with their families. So I found a whole bunch of new responsibilities. So I feel like I owe it to, not just to myself and to my organization, but to those people to learn some new skills and to set some goals and to be public about them and to have a board of trustees that will hold me to high standards. And I found that that's actually one thing that's worked very, very well. Mm-hmm. I'm a 34-year-old man, and I wish I'd learned this 10 years ago, is that when you do stuff, you know, it is a bit brave, it is a bit bold, but when you do stuff, people do support you. People do want to see success. And when you add on to that the fact that it's a charitable operation, a nonprofit cause, it's the the support that I've had from the people around me has been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And very, again, to use that word, humbling. I'm sure that some people listening might want to help out, might want to get involved in whatever way would be useful. What would be the most useful way for someone who's listening now to get involved in Global Code? So there's a a couple of things. The first is that my growth plans for the next couple of years are adventurous. Mm -hmm. So we need money. We give every student a Raspberry Pi, which they can take home with them and they can use to learn to program. They can hit their brother or sister over the head with it. (laughs) But it's a gift from us. And those things cost 50 bucks. And I've been very lucky so far to have found sponsorship for those things. So that costs money. Flights cost money. It's uh, 800 pounds to fly to Ghana from the UK. It's $1,200 to get there from New York. Incidentally, the second thing that we need is is people to come and help us. Mm -hmm. There's a direct flight every day from New York to Accra. Costs about 1200 bucks. It's got Wi-Fi, the whole flight. (laughs) So it's probably nicer than staying at home. So I know you have a wide listenership. If there are people that are software engineers, or that have some design knowledge or mm-hmm. think they can help us with entrepreneurial skills or any of those, you know, setting up small businesses, uh, any of those things which are useful in that field, I'd love to hear from you. We can get you on a plane and get you into Ghana and get you to help out. So if people want to get in touch with you about that, where's the best place to do that? Sure. So our, our website's globalcode.org.uk. And uh, I guess we'll probably put a link somewhere. Yeah. And my email address is uh, Sam at globalcode.org.uk. Don't forget the .uk on the end. Everyone (laughs) forgets that. So we're a British organization, but we're international in in heart. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, I wish you the best of luck with Global Code. Thank you for sharing. It's a great cause, and I wish you all the best. That's wonderful, Chad. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you. 
If you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope you did, do me a favor and tell a friend about it. It really helps. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. See you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.